Take your copy of God's Word this morning, brothers and sisters, and turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, as we continue our study of this gospel and have set before us the wonder and the beauty and the grace of the life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. Follow along with me. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let us pray. Father, this is your word. And Lord, how we love your word. We are so thankful that we have a God who has revealed himself so fully. And just as you spoke on the first day of creation, and things came out of nothing into existence, Lord, our prayer is that you would speak now in power. Speak to us of the glories of Christ, our Savior. Lead our minds and our hearts to behold Him, to adore Him, to worship and to serve Him. Lord, speak and give Your children, Lord, ears to listen now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. How many times in your life have you had to look at maybe a coworker or a student, perhaps even a spouse, certainly your own child, and say, just listen to me? Have those words ever come out of your mouth? Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, in in complete transparency and honesty, I've probably shouted that more times in my life than I should have. Why don't you just listen to me? As a father, one thing I have said so often is that our house would be such a peaceful, almost perfect place if my children would just listen to what I say and do it. But even as those words come out of my mouth, I am immediately convicted, right? I'm convicted. I'm convicted as I think about how my heavenly father lovingly and tenderly says to me, Sean, my beloved child, you would navigate the path of life that I have ordained for you so much more joyfully and peacefully and fruitfully if you would just listen to what I say and do it. It is then that I realize that too often I am the stubborn child who does not listen. 
In Luke 8, we are continuing to explore the body of teaching given by Jesus during his earthly ministry. Following what we talked about last week, what we explored last week, the parable of the seed and the soils, we now have Jesus using both a lamp and his own family as metaphors to teach the importance of listening to him, identifying with him, and obeying him. It seems like a very elementary principle, brothers and sisters, but as you likely realize, as I did a long time ago, sometimes it's the most simple things in Scripture that we have the hardest time applying. So my prayer is that as we come to this text, and as we look at it in two different section, sections, our hearts will be moved by the grace and splendor of Christ to listen and obey our Savior more fully more carefully, more lovingly, as we navigate this life. Two points this morning, and the first is this. You are the light of the world. You, believers, are the light of the world. And my first point is actually drawn from the parallel passage in Matthew 5.14, where Jesus says those words. He says, you are the light of the world. And in saying this, Jesus is not calling us to to be something. He is stating that by virtue of being rightly related to him, we are something. In this case, we are light. If you sit here today before me as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are light. John 8, verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. In Ephesians 5.8, this verse we know so well. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. All of those exhortations come back to Jesus' words here. Look at what he says in the first verse of our text. Verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. This is common sense, right? The whole purpose of lighting a lamp in ancient times was to have light in the midst of darkness. We know that usually by the time we reach about 8 or 9 p.m. at night, It is dark out, and so we likewise have all of us, we've installed lights in the homes in which we live. Well, we didn't install them, a builder installed them, but, you know, we like to be able to walk into a room and simply flick a switch, and the darkness flees, and there's light there to see and to do everything we want to do. That's what light is for, to illumine that which is unseen or obscure, to enable sight by dispelling the cloak of night. This is why the lamp, even in ancient homes, was put on a higher place, on a lampstand, so that those in the the room could reap as much benefit from the light as possible, so that anyone who entered the room could see the light. And so, brothers and sisters, the meaning here is very straightforward. Light is not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to be hidden. 
Right after Jesus finishes a parable where he teaches about true conversion and fruitfulness, he speaks directly to how we are to live as lights in the world. And that's what he means here. If we are going to bear fruit for Christ, if we are that fourth soil in which the seed of the gospel, the seed of Christ has taken root, we are going to bear fruit. And in bearing fruit, we are going to be light. When Jesus says here that we are light, he means that we function in this world in two very important capacities. First, we reflect the light of his glory, right? In and of ourselves, we have no light. We are darkness. But once we are in him, once we are one with Jesus, we shine with his light. And and probably a, a great example of this is just how we see the moon at night, right? The moon in and of itself, as a, as a body there, uh, 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 rotating around the earth, encircling the earth, it has no light of its own. But the moon does reflect the light of the sun, which makes it a bright light in the night sky. That's what we're to be, brothers and sisters. We have no light of our own, but we do have the light of Christ. And it is with the very light of Christ that we shine. It is that very light of Christ that we are to reflect in the midst of a dark world. So that's first. But second, we also serve as forces of illumination in this world so that those who are lost in darkness can see the person and truth of Jesus. Thus, being light means that we are people who show forth and radiate Jesus Christ to others. More specifically, we are a people who proclaim Him, who represent Him, who bear the light of the gospel into the dark places. So we reflect his light for his glory. And we serve as forces of illumination in the midst of a dark world. And as we live this way, we are like the city on the hill. We cannot be hidden. Because the sun illumines us day and night, we are to burn with the light of his presence in the midst of this world. But the flip side is also true. Light ceases to fulfill its intended purpose when it is hidden. Light ceases to fulfill its intended purpose when it is hidden. As Philip Graham Ryken said in his commentary, some people hear the gospel again and again, but when it comes to glorifying God, they are as useless as a lamp under a clay jar. They may even claim to be Christians, but they keep their so-called Christianity to themselves. And what good is that? And that is a perennial problem we see in the church throughout the ages. It's not just in the American church. It's in the global church, and it's in the global church through all times. You can just look back through the annals of church history. Throughout church history, we see people who professed faith in Jesus Christ, and yet, amazingly, they were able to camouflage and hide themselves to fit in very much with the world. Their light was hidden. J.C. Ryle, commenting on this phenomenon, even in the late 1800s, in his own time period, says, the gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant to merely reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. Brothers and sisters, that is the very exhortation of our Savior before us. Live as light. 
Do not hide yourself. Do not seek to to reduce, to diminish, to hide the glow of what has been entrusted to you. Indeed, if you truly belong to me, if you truly are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, then let your light shine. This is how we glorify our Father who is in heaven. And that truth is what carries us right into verse 17. Look at verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. You know, have you, ever, have you ever been in your house, perhaps, when the electricity was out? Maybe a storm had gone through, your electricity was out, it was, it was dark in the evening. What did you have to do? You had to light a candle. You had to break out the flashlights, right? And you had to move around your home in a way where you pointed and directed that single light that you had to illumine the dark places, to reveal what you needed to see, to go on and continue to live and take care of things while you didn't have power, Right? In the same way, our Lord says that everything will be brought to light. It will be manifested. As we bear the light of Christ and lift up the truth of his gospel, we not only manifest what is truly in our own hearts, what is also made manifest is the spiritual condition of the world. When men and women hear the preaching of the gospel and are exposed to the presence of Christ, Their sin, their wickedness, their deeds of darkness are exposed to the light. And two things happen in that moment. One of two things happen in that moment when the light of the gospel brings sin to light. Number one, God draws men and women to himself. And as the Holy Spirit works in them, they confess and repent of their wickedness, bringing it out into the open as they trust in Jesus Christ. That's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is that other men and women also reveal that they are committed to their sin, that they are hardened to the things of God. And their rebellion against the divine authority of God, the judge, is made manifest. That's what the light of the gospel does, brothers and sisters. The light of the gospel always does one of those two things. It reveals sin and wickedness in men and women who come to Jesus for forgiveness for their sin and wickedness. And it reveals sin and wickedness in a way that hardens the hearts of people and reveals that they have rejected the authority of God, their creator, and judge. God, therefore, is continually at work revealing things with his light. As both redeemer and judge, he reveals what is hidden. He brings what is shrouded in darkness out into the light. Indeed, this is what the apostle John told us in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, picking up at verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So there you see it, brothers and sisters. Whatever evil men are motivated by, whatever they do or say or however they respond to the preaching of the gospel, no matter what we do, what we say, we will answer to God for all of it. All of it. 
As Jesus said when he was rebuking the Pharisees in Matthew 12, beginning of verse 35, the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And we need to understand, this is not just a warning to unbelievers. As Christians, we would do well to remember that this applies to us as well. The condition of our heart is manifest in the light of Christ. And every single word and deed of our lives will also one day be laid bare before the almighty judge of the universe. Now thankfully, thankfully for the true Christian, every sin, every evil word, every sinful thought will be counted to Christ. And the fullness of his righteousness will robe us before the judge of the universe. That is the wonder and glory of his grace. That is the beauty of the gospel. It is that wonderful gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. It is that wonderful blessing of justification in his name. It is that wonderful, wonderful gift of forgiveness that will enable us to stand unafraid before God the judge when our day comes. And I hope, brothers and sisters, you cherish that grace and that you adore Christ for that grace because he is the very one who has secured us in his grace. But that reality should also serve to motivate us towards obedience, right? That reality should not serve to make us lazy or careless or haphazard in how we conduct our lives. No, that love for Christ when we behold Him and see His glories and think of the wonder of His mercies that are poured out to us every day as we behold Him, our love for Him and our delight for His glory should lead us to strive with every ounce of our being to walk in obedience. So that when we do appear before the judgment seat of Christ, He is exalted and lifted up for what He has wrought in us. That's what brings us to the truth of verse 18 then. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Verse 18 means that people who hear the truth, who listen to it by taking it to heart, those who apply and engage what Christ says, they will be given even greater understanding and growth in God's truth. Their understanding of the mysteries of Christ and the truths of Christ shall deepen as they mature in their relationship with Christ, in their study of Scripture, in their obedience. But what about the others? What about those who are, who are deceived unbelievers, those who think they know God, who think God is okay with their sin? Well, those who claim to be Christians and even go to church and have the appearance of of godliness but are not living the gospel secretly these people are ruled just as ruled by their lust and greed and selfishness as they ever were for those people even what they think they have will be taken away from them brothers and sisters the the greatest biblical illustration that serves as a warning to us all in this is the example of judas right Judas was one of the twelve. 
Judas went out. When, when they went out to minister two by two, Judas was there preaching. Judas was there observing the healings. Judas was, was there and he had every appearance of being an instrument of God. And like I've told you before, it's not as if everybody knew that, that he was the one who was going to betray Christ. Even at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, no one looked at Judas and said, I bet it's him. No, they looked at themselves first. Judas had every appearance of someone who belonged to the Lord. And yet ultimately, his betrayal bore out that he never truly knew Christ. The warning here is clear. Even what they think they have will be taken away from them. Again, brothers and sisters, this is why we heed Paul's biblical admonition to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see that we're in the faith, and to understand that if we are looking to and trusting wholly in Christ, then we are forgiven. We are His if you are looking to and trusting wholly in Christ, you are the light. You're the light. And if we are the light, brothers and sisters, the admonition here is simply live as those who are light in this world. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 and 9. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Christ is working out in us. Let us embrace it and rejoice in it. And be thankful to him for it. And glory and wonder at the splendor of his mercy towards us. And as we adore him, brothers and sisters, as we love him and as we worship him, as we acknowledge him as the source of all that is life and all that is good and all that is righteous, we will bear, we will radiate the very light of Christ himself. That takes me to the second point, the second section of this text. You are the light of the world is our first point. Secondly, you are the family of God is my second. You, believers, are the family of God. Pick up with me at verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now we can gather at this point that Jesus is speaking to a large crowd and evidently he's inside a home because if he were out in the open, then his family could have reached him. His mother, of course, is Mary. Most scholars and commentators believe that his earthly father Joseph was dead by the time that Jesus began his earthly ministry because he's not mentioned again in the New Testament after the story of them leaving Jesus behind in Jerusalem when he was 12. With Mary came Jesus' half-brothers. These were the natural children. Remember, Jesus was a virgin birth, right? Joseph did not know his wife in the biblical sense, in the physical sense, before the birth of Jesus. But after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary went on to have a normal marital relationship. They had other children. Matthew 13, verses 55 and 56 tell us that Jesus had four half-brothers. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. He also had sisters who are not named in the New Testament. 
In the early verses of John 7, particularly John 7 verse 5, we are told that Jesus' brothers did not believe in him during his earthly ministry. And as far as what Mary believed, we do not know for sure at this point. Mary had special revelations about him before and after his birth, and she acknowledged with her own confession her trust in what God was going to do through her. But it seems at this time that her understanding of what Jesus actually came to accomplish might have been somewhat clouded. Why did they come to see Jesus? Neither Luke nor the parallel account in Matthew tell us. Going back to John 7, it is clear again that his brothers did not believe in Jesus and that their own misconceptions about the Jewish Messiah fostered doubts in their hearts about what their older brother was doing. And if you look over in Mark chapter 3, Mark 3 verses 20 and 21, it tells us that at least one point, Jesus' own family feared that he was out of his mind. So maybe their concern had led them to come and try to get Jesus and take him home. Given their misunderstanding, they were also likely afraid for Jesus' life. Again, John the Baptist had already been arrested for preaching the truth. And the religious leader's plan to destroy Jesus might already be leaking out and rumored among the people. And so Jesus' family might have simply wanted to come get him to take him home and keep him safe. We don't know for sure. Regardless of why they came, they were outside now. They sent word through the crowd that they wanted to meet with Jesus. For his part, Jesus was not embarrassed by his family's arrival. You know, it's not like Jesus was inside going, oh, why are my mother and brothers out there? Didn't happen, okay? Also, it did not deter him from his teaching. Though his family might have been misguided, they loved him and he loved them. But he did use their arrival to teach an important spiritual lesson. Jesus responded to the man who had informed him of his family's arrival by stating the following. Look back at the text. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, how do we understand this? Was Jesus renouncing his family? Not at all. Mary was his earthly mother, the chosen vessel of his incarnation. She brought him into the world. She nursed him. She taught him. She took him to synagogue meetings. She provided for his physical needs. His younger half-brothers and sisters, they were the ones he looked after. Imagine Jesus, you know, probably, you know, at 14, 15, 16 years old. He was probably the babysitter a lot of times for his younger siblings. These were the ones he had played with. These were the ones that he had taught Joseph's trade of carpentry to. Even though they did not recognize his true identity or understand his true mission, he loved them dearly. So Jesus was not renouncing his family. What he was doing was teaching the priority of faith and the subsequent importance of obedience. Jesus loved his earthly family, but apart from faith, without faith, they were no more related to him spiritually than any other sinful human being. This is where we do want to be careful how we interpret verse 21. Some have taken it to mean that our works of obedience are what make us part of the family of Christ. Again, this is how Roman Catholic scholars want to read this text. So let us state clearly, we do not make ourselves part of God's family by doing the Father's will. Rather, 
doing the Father's will identifies us as already part of the family of Christ. Apart from faith in Christ, we do not truly know, nor are we remotely capable of obeying God's will. But when we are in Christ, when we have repented of our sin and believe in Jesus, we are born as, as a result of that. No, I'm sorry. As a result of the Spirit's work in us, we are born again. We believe. And as we believe, as we are born again, the fruit of true faith is obedience. John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6, 40, a few verses later, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And of course, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we will stand before God one day and be judged on the basis of our works. Let us be clear about that. The Bible teaches that. We will stand before God one day and be judged on the basis of our works. But the Christian's good works are not the ground of our justification. They are not the basis of our acceptance before God. Our works are the evidence that we have already been accepted and justified by Jesus Christ. God will look upon our works at the judgment as the fruit of Christ that has been wrought in us. Belief in Christ and what he has done makes us doers of the will of God. Belief in him is what makes us his family, his co-heirs in eternity. And so, brothers and sisters, this brings us, being the family of God, brings us to several important theological realities. Here are just three of them, okay? One, this speaks to the reality of our adoption. Right? We understand what adoption is. Adoption is us taking a child who is not from our physical descendancy, taking that child and giving them our name and making them our own, making them our very own child, part of our very own family with all the rights and privileges that come with that. In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. In Christ, we who were once enemies of the gospel, enemies of the cross of Christ, we are now made His very own. And we can never be lost to Him again. As His children through faith in Christ, we have the privilege of bearing witness to His infinite worth. As it says in Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Secondly, this speaks to the priority of our spiritual fellowship. This speaks to the priority of our fear, spiritual fellowship. You, if you are a believer, you are adopted into the family of God. You now are part of a wider spiritual community. You are part of, of a local spiritual family. And we are to cherish the body of Christ as Jesus cherishes the body of Christ, right? No one can claim, I believe in Jesus and I love Jesus, and yet not manifest a love for the very bride of Christ for whom he laid down his life. 
a love for Christ means necessarily a love for the church. So brothers and sisters, may we cherish one another. May we draw near to one another as Christ and His Spirit is what we have in common. May, may we in the Spirit love one another, encourage one another, correct one another, rejoice in the gifts that God has given through one another, all for the glory of His name. As it says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We are one body in Christ. And therefore, as it says in Romans 12, 5, individually members one of another. May we live that way. May we manifest a commitment that is born out in that way. Thirdly, and this is really the culmination of this whole passage, this speaks to the necessity of doing the Father's will of being obedient. Doing the will of God distinguishes us as His sons and daughters. It's what sets us apart from the world. As we look at the world, the, Jesus again tells us there is a wide path of destruction. Everybody's on that path. But narrow is the gate. Narrow is the path of righteousness. As we talk about how we live in this world, we are to be marked as people of the narrow path. We are distinct from the world and, and, and by virtue of our relationship with Christ. And we manifest that distinction by having different priorities, by living our lives in a different way, by bearing out the light of Jesus and walking in obedience to him. It is the obedient life that is evidence of our justification. And it is the obedient life that reflects the righteousness of Christ to the world. Brothers and sisters, are you living that way? Or are you hiding your light? Again, draw, drawing from my experience as a, as a father, and many of you have experienced the same thing, and frankly, I remember doing this as a child myself. There have been many times where hour, two hours after I put my children to bed, I go to, to their room in the house to, to put something in the room, make sure it's not lost or whatever. And what do I find? I find my children under the blanket with the flashlight, right? Reading, looking at something else, right? The glow of something that has caught their attention. They're hiding. They're hiding the light. They don't want me to know that they're still awake long after I told them to go to bed. That's not the type of Christian we're meant to be. We're not meant to hide the light. Brothers and sisters, because of Christ, His glory, His mercy, His strength, His grace in us, our light is to shine forth. We are to bear that light to all the world so the world may see evidence of how Christ transforms how Christ forgives, how Christ magnifies himself, how Christ adopts, how Christ gives hope, how Christ 
displays his glory. All of that is meant to be displayed through we, through us, his children. Therefore, be doers of the word. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 1 John 2.17, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. May we bear the light. May we show the world we are the very family of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Apart from him, Lord, we are only darkness. Apart from Jesus, Lord, we are depraved. We are enslaved to unrighteousness. We are enslaved to our flesh. Apart from Jesus, we can only live for self. But in Christ, you have set us free. As we have trusted in Christ, Lord, because of his sacrifice, we may stand forgiven. In Christ, we are made whole. In Christ, we are brought out of darkness into the light. So, Lord, we pray, may we live as bearers of the light. May we testify with all that we are to the glories of Christ our King, to the splendor of His love and the joy that we have in His forgiveness and the hope that we have in what even now He is preparing for all of His children. May we love Him and walk in the light of his glory in all things. In Jesus' name we pray.